This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm so delighted you've joined me for this ministry tonight. My name is Hal Brady, and as always, my prayer is that you'll be blessed both by the Word and the music. I am so grateful for the musicians who sing on our program week by week. 
They are marvelous in every way, not only great singers, but great people. And I'm pleased to have opportunity of working with them. Our scripture lesson tonight comes from Matthew chapter 16. I'm beginning reading at verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A civic club paid tribute to a manager of a business that had been in business for over a hundred years. This is what the president said. A century is a long time. Only a firm which has run on sound principles and has rendered useful service could have made such a record. And then looking around at the tables at the club, he asked, is there anybody else here who represents a business that has been in business for that long? A minister quickly arose and he said, I have that honor. There was a moment of silence and then a tremendous burst of applause as people realized that the church on the corner was the oldest organization in the city. And so we become mindful of Jesus' response to Peter's magnificent faith. When Peter declared, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God, Jesus immediately replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Some might think Jesus should have said, on this rock I will shipwreck my church. These people have been so hung up on this rock for so long that they have missed the absolute positive thrust of the passage. Oh, I know there are issues with this passage. Did Jesus really speak these words? What was the authority of Peter? But I don't want to get involved in a debate about this passage about the rock. All I want to do is for us to focus on the tremendous claim of Jesus that the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. And beloved, I take it that he was talking about the corporate community, the corporate body of Christ, the church, the worshiping, the witnessing, and the working body of the living Christ. Jesus Christ loved the church, and so do I. Jesus Christ believed in the church, and so do I. What I want to do for a few minutes is lift up some of the reasons why I believe in the church. Why I believe in the church of which Jesus said the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And of course, not all these reasons are original with me. First of all, I believe in the church simply because of its tenacity, its ability to persist. Not long ago, I heard about a, 
little boy who was riding by a church that was partially demolished. This church was being torn down to make room for a larger and newer church. The little boy, as he passed by, he said to his family, look, they're going out of business. Not true, not true. The amazing thing about the church is that it survived it all through the years. Throughout the centuries, the Christian church has had numerous reasons to fail, numerous reasons to fail. At the beginning, there was the confusion of the disciples themselves. Sometimes when we read the New Testament about the disciples, we are absolutely dumbfounded at how dumb they seem to be. These disciples got caught up on prestige and prominence and who had the power and all those things. They seemed to have missed the master's message. And then there was the spread of Christianity. There were the Jewish Christians who got hung up on the fact that when a Gentile Christian became a Christian, he also should be practicing Jewish religious customs such as circumcision. Well, this brought the whole question of what the gospel was into debate. Was the gospel a gift of God's grace, or was it something to be earned? The Apostle Paul waded into that situation, and somehow the church survived. The church survived. As the church spread, it spread around the Mediterranean and down into Africa. There were false teachers who appeared on the scene. These false teachers led many a naive person away and astray. And yet somehow or other, the truth of the scripture prevailed and the church survived. The opposition against the church through the centuries has been absolutely amazing. The Jewish people had something against it because they felt like it was going to take the place of their religious laws and customs. The Gentiles had a problem with it because the gospel judged their idolatry. The Roman government had a problem with it because the Roman government felt that Jesus was a greater king than the Caesars. So what I'm saying is that all of this opposition caused great persecution and great problems for the Christians. And yet, the church survived. And yet, that's come right up to the present day. Think of all the criticism the church received in our time. I remember a few years back when the late Bishop Arthur Moore was pastor of the First Methodist Church of Birmingham, Alabama. There was a man in his church that came to him and he said, I'm not going to remain a member of this church. There are too many hypocrites in it. And Bishop Moore said, let me tell you about this church. He said, when I got in it, speaking of himself, he said it got bad. And when you got in it, it got worse. But he said, we don't profess to be perfect, but we do profess to follow a perfect Lord. And that's the way it is in the church. We do profess to follow a perfect Lord. But then think of the criticism of the church in our time. Our church is just blasted. It's being called too judgmental, too worldly, too this and that and the other. And I'll admit there is such a thing as bad church, and I grieve over it. I really do. I grieve over it. No question about that. So what I'm saying is the church does stand in need of criticism. Think about the pastors like me and people like you who've joined the church. We brought all our shortcomings into the church with us. Certainly the church stands in need of criticism. I don't know of another institution in this culture or another organization that doesn't stand in need of criticism. All of us stand in need of criticism. It helps us to grow into the right direction that God would have us to go. But I still want to remind you that the church persists. In spite of all the criticism, in spite of all the downing of the church, all the accusations against the church, all the problems of the church, the church persists. 
Sure, there are problems in the church, but the church will persist. Sure, some of our worship services are dull and uninspiring from time to time, but the church will persist. Surely, there are various other things wrong with the church, but the church will persist. That's the message. I'm absolutely amazed at the church because of its tenacity. Quite frankly, I find it kind of wonderful to belong to something that our sins cannot destroy. What do we say in our ritual? The church is of God and will be preserved to the end of time. So the first thing is, I believe in the church because of its tenacity, its ability to persist. And then secondly, I believe in the church because the church continually focuses on human need. It continually focuses on human need. What did Jesus say? He said, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. A man said he took a used suit to the bend of the Salvation Army. And he said on that bend he saw these words, Help us to help others. The church at its best has been doing that for a long, long time. The church at its best has been in the process of tending to the needs of others throughout the years. As a matter of fact, no other institution in the world has ministered like the church has. It's just absolutely the case. Now, we need to think seriously. Sometimes we take it for granted, this serving of others, year after year, decade after decade, century after century. That is no small achievement, and yet the church has accomplished that through the years. It has continued to minister to other people. I belong to the board of something called Mercy Med. Mercy Med is a ministry in Columbus, Georgia, where a young minister and his staff minister to hundreds of people. It's a medical ministry. They minister to hundreds of people, day in and day out. As a matter of fact, people are charged on a, on a scale. They only pay what they can afford, but they pay it because they need to keep their self-respect. They are paying for something that they receive. It's not just a handout. But I want you to know, it's the churches that stand behind this ministry as well as the community. But the churches have always led the way. This particular ministry is built on and nurtured by and continues to be sustained by prayer. Prayer is the sustaining element in this particular ministry. In a radio sermon years ago, the late Dr. Ernest Campbell said he would always want to preach a sermon on the subject, the church the world cannot see. He said in that sermon he would like to share the many places he has been where his parishioners have already been there in terms of the sick home, the bereaved home, the disadvantaged home. His parishioners, in terms of his church members, have already been there preceding him. Every minister can testify to that. I know I can testify to that. People have been ministering for a long time, every single place. Now, I could go on and on talking about the church and its continuing ministry. We simply cannot imagine all the marvelous things that are being done for people through the ministry of the Church of Jesus Christ. And another reason I believe in the church is because of his continuing focus on human need. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And the church has been doing that. A haughty woman said to a, a young man, if God loved you, he would provide for you. The young man said, God sent someone they forgot. But let me tell you, for every person that forgot, my experience in the church is that ten times that number remembered. I believe in the church because the church focuses on human need. And then thirdly, 
I believe in the church because there's no such thing as solitary Christianity. There's no such thing as solitary Christianity. As someone observed, the call of Christ is not just a new commitment. The call of Christ is to new community. It is a new community call, a new companionship. We're talking about the church. Jesus said the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Who? An individual? No. A particular group of people? No. We're talking about the church, the community of faith, the body of Christ. The gates of hell will never prevail against it. To be sure, our Christian faith and experience has to be social, not simply just personal. It cannot be private. The more private it becomes, the more distorted it becomes. Jesus never kept his religious feelings just to himself. Jesus shared his religious feelings with the community. As a matter of fact, he said, where two or three are gathered together, I am in the midst of them. He was talking about the community. There was a group of lay people, and these lay people were missionaries. And they went into this particular settlement near this Amish community. And one day, an Amish man came out, and this lay evangelist said, Brother, are you a Christian? This particular man hesitated a moment. He took a sheet of paper. He wrote some things on the paper. And he handed it over to the lay evangelist and he said, These people know me best. Ask them whether I'm a Christian. You see, he was referring to community. There was a journalist who said she, he ran across a little girl, three-year-old, beautiful little girl, on the floor in a drugstore. This little girl, he said, was eating her ice cream and drinking her water out of a saucer. The only sound she made was barking like a dog. And so this journalist went on to ask this psychiatrist what was wrong with the child. The psychiatrist said this little girl was unwanted and unloved, and the only affection she ever received was from this particular dog. Consequently, she wanted to be a dog. He said if this little girl ever becomes a human being, it will be because she is adopted into a family, a community, a family life. That's the way it is with our Christianity. Christianity is not a solo affair. It's not a lone ranger kind of religion. It is a community religion. We are in this together. The Bible was written from a community to a community for a community. So I believe in the church simply because there's no such thing as solitary Christianity. And then I believe in the church because it's the one institution that points to Jesus Christ. It's the one institution that points to Jesus Christ. Right into the Ephesians, Paul claims that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Note that it's not an institution, a creed, a ritual, or a book that's the foundation of the church. The foundation of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In the final analysis, the church exists to witness to Jesus and the kingdom of God. In the words of another, listen please, it's the church and the church alone which stands as a perpetual witness to the eternal. The reality of the unseen, the reality of God, the reality of love, forgiveness, and hope, and the divine concern that's in the world that Jesus said is the love of God for each and every one of us. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in a Nazi prison, he said they didn't know what was going to happen next, but he said they did keep their eyes on Jesus. They did keep their eyes on Jesus. Howard Eddington was a former minister of the First Presbyterian Church in Orlando, Florida. He said his grandfather was right when he said, things will change or disappear. 
things will change or disappear. He said his grandfather himself disappeared four years later because he lost a battle to cancer. He said his family that used to live in one place was now scattered from Texas to North Carolina to Florida to New England. He said even the old home place at 1305 Dolphin Street was no more. He said his grandfather was right when he said things will change or disappear. But then his grandfather said, but Jesus never will. Jesus never will. When there's nothing else to trust, we can trust Jesus. That is the whole point of this particular illustration. This is very important. No other institution in this culture witnesses to Jesus like the church. Not the school, not the university, not the civic clubs, not the chamber of commerce, not any other group or organization. It is the church that offers the primary witness to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. A friend once said to me after a worship service, I just wanted you to know I rededicated my life in this service. Another friend said to me after a worship service, I came to this church because I knew my daughter needed it, but after I got here, I found that I needed it too. And then a young person said to me following a worship service, I was saved in this service. Now I want to participate and try to help with the habits of my life. I believe in the church because it's the one institution that points to Jesus Christ intentionally, intentionally. A young preacher had just finished his message and he was standing at the door and this rather large, imposing woman came up to him and said, you're mighty young to be talking like that. He pulled himself up to his greatest height and he said, Madam, I represent eternity. So do we as the body of Christ. We represent eternity. We in the church represent eternity. We are a home of grace, a home for all, a home for new life. Now listen to me. If you can find something better to give your life to than Jesus Christ in the church, by all means, you do it. But if you can't find anything better than that, I suggest you give your life, your love, your help, and your hope all for the cause of Christ through the church. It's so important our working with God through the life of the church. Let us pray. Lord, we're grateful for the church. We are grateful for the one who brought the church into being, for the task given to the church, and for the witness of the church. Forgive us for all our mistakes in the church, and there are many. But Lord, we pray that you would empower us to be the church you want us to be. May we glorify you and witness to Christ and be instruments of healing and hope in the world. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you very much for joining me tonight, and I pray that this has blessed your life and that you'll share this program with others. God bless and good night.